this morning, I'm going to try not to beat you up too bad, uh, but I want to talk about time, about time. You know, time is the most valuable thing on this earth. Think about it. You're never not spending time. And once it's spent, it's gone. You can never get it back. It's more valuable than gold, more precious than diamonds. It's, it's time is all that we have. We waste it. We give it away. We throw it away. But time is so valuable. And I think many of us, we, we misuse our time. Even after, even after we get saved, we, we don't spend our time wisely. Again, front of the line. We don't spend our time wisely. We don't take the steps and, and, and do the things we're supposed to do to be able to, I guess, more, more well spend our time. My grammar not really good there. But, and it's time for us to do something different. It's time for us to, start, to step up and, and be the, the men, the women that God has called us to be. To do the things that God has called us to do. After all, we are, we are the church, right? This, this is a building. This is a building. That's all it is. Nothing special about it. But the church is, is what we are. The church is inside of us and living in us. We are the church. So church, it's time to do something different. It's time to quit playing games. It's time to start being Christians and living like Christians. You know what Christian means? Little Christ. And that's how we're supposed to live our life, as little Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, To follow my example, I follow the example of Christ. We should live in such a way that people want to follow us as, as we follow him. That's how we should live our life. That's how we should, should act, behave, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day of the week. We make it a part-time deal, but it's a full-time gig. You're not a Christian sometimes. You're a Christian all the time. And really, if I want to be honest, you're a Christian all the time, or you're a Christian none of the time. Amen. Off to a good start, eh? All right. So we're going to start in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, in verses 43 and 44. And the Living Bible, the King James Version. Hey, it's the one Jesus used, guys. All right. It says in verse 43, And when he had thus spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now, I'm sure you're probably thinking, what in the world does this have to do with time? Well, I'm going to tell you. Just hold on. All right. So if you, read, if you read this story, most of us know the, the concept of this story. You know, Lazarus gets sick, Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up, calls his name, comes out of the grave. It's a death, death and resurrection story. Pretty, pretty cut and dry, right? But as I, as I read over this chapter time and time again, there's so much there. I could talk, to this, I could talk on this one first 45 verses right here for like six, eight weeks, easy. It's, it's that much there. But what I see is more than just a life and death picture. I see a salvation picture. I see someone who's sick in sin, dead in their sin, as, as, as at one time we all were. And Jesus calling them into life. Jesus calling them into eternal life. It's more than just about sickness and death. 
We all share this story with Lazarus. At one time, we were all Lazarus. So church, my first point today is it's time to come out of the grave. It's time to come out of the grave. Like I said, this is more than just a story about sickness and death. There's a beautiful picture here in the story of salvation. There's a beautiful picture that Lazarus was dead, but now he lives. In the same way that at one time we were all dead. But if he's called us out, then now we live. See, Lazarus was sick. He was sick physically. Or many times we're sick spiritually. And his sickness led him to death. In the same way our sin leads us to death. See, we are infected as people. From the moment we're born until we come to know Christ, if God allows us to come to know him. From that time, from the time we're born to the time we come to know Christ, we are infected. We're infected with sin. From Adam until now. Since sin came into, I think Romans 5, I didn't, I'm sorry guys, I'm, I'm pulling a Tyler, I didn't put this in my notes. But, but Romans, Romans 5 something is something after 12 before the end. So it's in the 10 verses there. But Romans 5 something says that because of one man's disobedience brought sin and death into the world. Because of Adam's disobedience, sin and death came into the world. And all men are born under sin. All men are born under sin. Romans 3.23 goes so far as to say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's another verse in Romans that says there's none good. No, not one. You know, you ask anybody on the street if you're, if you're they're a good person, and most of them are going to tell you, yeah. But if you don't have Christ, you're not a good person. And the Bible's clear about that. And there's none good, not one. But we have all sinned to come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned to come short of God's standard. Do you know what God's standard is? In case you didn't know. Perfection. He makes no substitutes. I mean, he makes no bones about it. No sin shall enter heaven. No sin can enter into heaven. Not one. Not the smallest one. Not the biggest one. Will enter heaven. God's standard is perfection. Now, I know that I'm close. (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. No one is perfect, though. We could never be perfect on our own. We have this, this flesh in us, this flesh that's in slavery to sin pr- pretty much our whole lives. And it fights against the spirit within us. It's trying to do good, it's trying to, to follow God, trying to do those things. Our flesh fights against that. So we fail. And we fail pretty often. We mess up. We could never live up to God's standard, but that's why God sent his son. God sent his son to take our place so that we wouldn't have to. He bore the, the penalty that we deserve. Because see, Romans 6.23 goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know what wages are? Payment. Payment. Meaning that if we die in sin, we get payment for our sin, which is eternal death, eternal damnation, if you will. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He sent his son to die on a cross for us to to take our place, to bear our penalty, our sin, our shame, so that we wouldn't have to. So that we wouldn't have to. 
It says in 1 John that he died, to say, he died for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. He died to make a way for all to come. Knowing that all wouldn't come. He gave everyone the opportunity. In Ephesians 2.1, the Bible says, that And you he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it's one time we were all dead in our sin, God did something. We were all dead in sin. We were all living in sin under the bondage of sin. And the Bible said that it, he, you he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Do you know what quickened means? I look this one up. You know what quickened means, Billy? It means to make alive. It means to make alive. So while we were dead, God came into our hearts and made us alive. Does that mean he saved us right there? No, I don't think so. I think it means he came in and he makes us aware of our sin. He begins to convict us. He begins to draw us. He begins to, to point out the, the imperfections in our life. He draws us through conviction. He draws us through revealing his word to us and revealing our sin to us through his word. He draws us through, through others, through listening to me, maybe, God forbid, I don't know. Listening to Marty, listening to Tyler, listening to whoever speaking. He draws us to him through others. And as he draws us, he makes us aware of our sin. We see our sin. We see our imperfections. We see how short we've come of reaching his standard. And he, he draws us and he makes us aware of our separation from him. We, we begin to see our sin not just as something we've done, but something that's driven a wedge in between us and in between God and separated us from him. And he shows us a picture of our lost selves that we don't, there's no way that we could ever come to him as we are. And in doing that, he gives us a glimpse of the eternity that's waiting for us if we die in the state we're in. It's not a good eternity, dying in that state. But in all this, he's drawing us to him. And through drawing us to him, we see what he's done for us, and we understand the, the price that was paid. I don't know if we ever fully understand. We get a picture of the price that was paid. And we wonder, why would anybody ever pay that price for me? What is so special about me that I, I deserve him to come down and die for me? What is so special about anything that I've ever done? I've never done anything good, never done anything good for him. Why would he send his son to die for me? And we see this picture that, that, that God not only sent his son, his, he, God made his son become sin for me so that I wouldn't have to have, bear the penalty and the punishment for my sin. And we realize this price that Christ paved, and we realize that he didn't deserve that. We deserved it. We deserved it, not him. And it shows us that God loved us enough to make a way for us to come to him. He calls us out of the grave, if you will. We're dead in our sin. And he looks at us and he says, David, come. Come forth. Bill, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he calls us out of this grave. Many times he calls us by name. Again, with Lazarus, come forth. He called the disciples by name. He walked by and said, hey, Peter, Paul, y'all come. Come on. Not Paul, but, you know, Peter, John, James. He called them and said, come on. Sometimes he calls us by our sin. 
Let that one stick in a minute. Sometimes we call this by our sin. You find an encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus never said her name. Never mentioned her name. But he talked to her for me and said, hey, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. You've had five. And the one you're shacking up with now ain't your husband. He called her by her sin. Revealed himself revealed himself to her through her sin and brought her to him. And not only her, the whole city. The whole city. Because he called one person out with truth, the whole city was saved. Sometimes he just comes in and completely wrecks your world. That'd be Paul. <laughs> be Paul on the Damascus Road being thrown from his horse and blinded by a bright light. Blind for three days. Old preacher listened to said he don't think Paul ever got his eyesight back. He said he got his physical eyesight back, but he, was never, he, never, he never saw things the same in the spiritual realm. He never saw things the same after that. That was Paul. That was me. That was me. Sitting right over here behind Mr. Omar. When God got a hold of me, he wrecked my world. He wrecked my life. He ch- Most everything that I was dealing with fell off. I tell, I tell the youth all the time, I said, when I got saved, any desire for alcohol, gone. The friends that drove me to alcohol, gone. They just fell off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened to them. I talk to one occasionally when I see him. That's about it. I try to get him to come to church, but he's pretty, he pretty, pretty stubborn. I guess like I was. But those things just fell off. He wrecked my world. He changed my friends. He changed my habits. He changed my desires. He changed my wants. And have I, have I messed up? Yes, I've messed up. I've, I've came a long way in the last 10 years. Came a long way. But I'm nowhere near where I ought to be. Because I'm selfish and I'm stubborn and I, and I like to do things my own way. And many times that's neglecting what we should do with God. But he called me out of that grave that day. I don't remember what the message was about. I don't remember anything besides, uh, I can't remember the name of the song now. <laughs> nothing but the blood. I just remember Jeremy Smith and Sam singing nothing but the blood. And suddenly this God that I had heard so much about that I wasn't even sure was real became real. He became real. And my life has changed forever. But he called me out of the grave. And we came. I think most everybody here at one time or another has, has been called out of the grave. But there's also people here today who have heard God's call and ignored it. There's people here today who have heard God's call and, and put it off. You know, you got all the excuses in the world. I don't, I don't have time for that right now. I got too much going on. Uh, I, don't, I got this stuff that I'm doing that I don't want to stop doing. I don't want to give up. On, I don't want to give up the sin that I'm in because it's too enjoyable. It's too fun. I'm too young. I hear that one a lot. I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. I always tell them, if you don't want it now, you sure ain't gonna want it later. Because the farther you get in that sin, the far harder it's gonna be to come out. And I speak from a voice of experience. I've been there. I've done a lot of stupid things. 
lot of bad things. And I truly believe that had I not came the day that I came, that my door was shut. I believe if God gets to the point with the Damascus Road experience, that that's about your last chance. Because he can shut that door anytime he wants to. He didn't say it has to be open forever. But we're too young. We have time. And sometimes we have people that they hold on to too much guilt and too much shame for things they have done. And that keeps them from coming. Because you think you have to be good enough. If you think you have to be good enough to come to God, you'll never be good enough. You'll never measure up. You'll never line up. So if you fit in one of these categories today and you're here, I want to urge you to come. I want to urge you today that if you know that he's calling you and you've been putting it off, you've been ignoring it, stop. Surrender. Give in. Come to him. If you know that he's brought you, if you know that he's brought you here to this place today, for a reason, because I don't believe in coincidences. If you're here today, you're here for a reason. Even if you're here every week, you're still here for a reason. But if you're here today, you're here for a reason. And I want to urge you to come, to quit resisting, to quit fighting against him, to come. Because like I said, there's no one here by accident. Think about this. God appointed for you to be here today before the foundations of the world were ever laid. The Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. Think about that. The same time God was forming Adam out of the dust, he saw me standing up here today. He saw Jesus hanging on that cross 2,000 years ago. He saw the end when heaven comes down all at the same time. He sees the end from the beginning. He knew you would be here, and he doesn't want you to miss this opportunity. Because you never know. It may be your last opportunity. So God is calling us out of death and, out of, and into eternal life. Out of eternal damnation and into eternal bliss. God is calling us today out of darkness and into light. Don't miss your moment. Because see, time is too short to put this off any longer. Time is too short to keep playing games with God. We see all the chaos in the world today with Russia and, and the Ukraine and all, and all this stuff going on. The world is crumbling right in front of us. Things are happening. Things are lining up. You know, I haven't looked into all the prophecy and stuff, but I could bet you probably find all this stuff happening somewhere in there. And we know the answer. He's saying, come. He's saying to come. Come today. Isaiah 55 and 6 says to seek the Lord Let me read it right. I'm sorry. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Seek him while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Do you know know why it says it like that? Because it means that there's coming a day when he won't be found. There's coming a day when he won't be near. And the more things happen in the world, the more we see things unfolding the way they're unfolding, the closer I believe that day is. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because one day, there'll be no finding him. I think last time I preached, I used the picture that I, I love the, the imagery of it is you have Jesus standing between God's wrath and man with his arms outstretched. With, with one arm, he, he's holding back the wrath of God. And with the other arm, he's pleading for lost man to come to him. 
And he's, gonna, and he's been standing there for 2,000 years pleading for man to come and holding back the wrath of God. Then one day he's just going to step back and drop his hands. And God's wrath will be unleashed on the earth. And there'll be no more coming. But we continue to put God on the back burner. And we risk missing him completely. We risk looking up one day and realizing that he's gone. Realizing his presence has left. Realizing we waited too long. And we look up and we cry out as Jeremiah 8.20 says. The harvest is past. Look, I typed my notes on a computer. I didn't have a Bible app, so I just, I just wrote the verses down and highlighted them. So I got to wait for Hunter and then to pull them up back there so, so I can read them off the screen. That's why I'm, it's, it's taking me a minute, all right? So Jeremiah 8.20 says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. What a terrible feeling that would be to realize this happened in your life. What a terrible feeling it would be to look up one day and realize that you played games too long, that you put too many things ahead of God, and you missed so much time that you could have been serving him or, or living for him, and you look up and you realize that he's gone, and the harvest is over, and you're not saved. God's called us out of the grave, church, and it's time that we not only come out of the grave, it's time that we get serious about God. See, this is more than just a tradition. We, we don't come to church because mama went to church. We come to church to be with other believers, to be lifted up and encouraged, to be taught. And, and, and maybe you probably feel like you're being disciplined right now. But we come to church to spend time with other believers, to worship with other believers, to be filled up and then sent out. So it's time to get serious about God. It's time to quit giving him just what we have left over. It's time to quit playing games. And it's time to come out of the grave, church. It's time to walk in newness of life with him. In John eleven forty I'll we'll read it again. It says that he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Church, it's time to quit living bound and gagged. It's time to put off our grave clothes. So many times we, we come out of this grave and we get loose and we get, we get our grave clothes off and put on our, our white raiment that Jesus has for us and we go out. But then we, we go out for a little while and maybe we, I don't know, we get tired, we get wore out. So we kind of come back to our graveside. We just kind of look at our grave clothes sitting there, our old life sitting there, and we say, man, I know I, know I can't, but that, that looks real good right now. I miss the things I used to do. You know, this Jesus stuff ain't easy. And he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it feels pretty heavy right now. So we look at our grave clothes and we long for them. We say, I can't. We turn our head and walk away. We go back, to, go back to living for God, serving God, and we get wore out again. We come back. And we say, well, maybe, maybe just a shirt. Put the shirt on. 
Let me go back out. Well, if we get to take our grave clothes off, we could take our shirt off, put our, put our white shirt back on, we put our, our grave shirt back on, we leave it on. And we go out and we, oh, it's a little easier now. I, I don't feel so bad about doing things I, I shouldn't do anymore. And we come back and we, before you know it, we, we've gone all the way back and put our grave clothes on. Back to our old life, to our old ways. We walk away from him. And before long, we're back where we were, bound and gagged and in our grave clothes. Back where we started at, back way before he ever called us out. See, we come to church. I'm going back a little bit because I missed something that I wanted to say. We come to church to be with other believers. We come to church, we worship together. We're built up spiritually together. We learn from the teachers we grow from the teachers. We grow from the things they teach us. The purpose of the church is for us to come together, be filled up, to go out. And we come back on Wednesdays. No coincidence, it's halfway through the week. And think, think about this. We ought to come in dragging spiritually. We ought to be so wore out from giving Jesus away all week that we got to be filled back up. And we come back in Wednesday and we eat and we get full physically. And we come in here and Marty teaches us or Tyler teaches us or David teaches us and we get full spiritually and we go back out. And we all come back in Sunday morning, oh, dragging again because we done wore ourselves out giving away Jesus to everybody we see. That's what the church is for. That's what this building is for. We're the church. I'm sorry, let me get it right. We're the church. That's what this building is for, for us to meet together and be encouraged and be uplifted and be built up so we can go out and give it all away. So we can go out and give it all away. We're, we, we're really confused if we expect the lost man to stumble in here on a Sunday morning most times. Lost man don't stumble in the church building most times. Most time you got to go to the lost man out there and bring him back here. So for too long, the church has remained silent. Let me back on track. We're back to being unbound and ungagged. Right. So for too long, the church has remained silent. For too long, the church has stood by with our noses firmly planted in the dirt. Kind of had that mentality of, uh, don't look this way, don't look this way. We see all this stuff happening in the world today, you know, uh, gay marriage, transgenderism, war, all this stuff happening. We're like, don't look this way. Mm -mm. Don't look this way. We don't want want to be noticed. We don't want to draw any attention to us. We want to keep our our face looking down and stay quiet so nobody gets mad at us. We came out of the grave, but we stay bound and gagged. But God didn't call us out of death and into life to remain planted in a, in a pew or a seat. God didn't call us out of death and into life to remain silent. God called us out of death to go. To go. What did he say? He said, loose him and let him go. And we come out of the grave, the Bible says that we are no longer slaves to sin. That the bondage of sin is broken in our lives. And what does he say? Then he says, go. Go tell others what I've done for you. What does Revelation say? You're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You don't have to know the Bible cover to cover, word for word. Know your testimony. You know why? Because nobody can argue out of your story. Nobody can argue out of your experience. 
Nobody could tell you that didn't happen because you were there. You experienced it happened. I experienced that over there. It happened. There's no denying that in my eyes. It happened. I was there. You may not believe it, but it happened. God called us to go, to go and proclaim his gospel everywhere. Everywhere. You know that? Everywhere. It means we don't just talk about God at church. We don't just talk about God at home. We're supposed to talk about God at work. We're supposed to talk about God at, 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 at the Sullivans over here. Go see James Sullivan and talk to him about God. <laughs> We're supposed to talk about God everywhere we go. The Bible says that God is all-consuming fire. He doesn't just all-consume us on Sundays and Wednesdays. He all-consumes us every day, every moment. He ought, every, let me stop, let me stop. Because <laughs> that's what a Christian is supposed to do. It's go proclaiming God everywhere they go. I know that probably sounds crazy to some of you, but that's, that's what the Bible says. What the Bible says. That's how we're supposed to live. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What are you telling them to do? Go ye. Go ye. Go. Go. Don't stay here. Go. I found a better one I liked when I was looking for this yesterday in Luke 24. He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. That's it. I don't need the next one. (laughs) I don't know why I put the next one in there. I don't need the next one. But go and preach repentance and remission of sins to the whole world. To the whole world. See, we got... Let me get on my soapbox for a minute. We've got this, 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 this idea that if you come down here and you kneel down and you say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Be Lord of my life. And you give and walk away and nothing changes in your life that you're good, that you're saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. What did Jesus say when he healed? Go and sin no more. When he saved the woman caught in adultery, what did he say? Go and sin no more. He healed, a, he healed a paralyzed man. He said, go and sin no more unless something worse befalls you. Look, I got on this the other day. Let me just get on. It's in my, it's in my heart, so I'm going to get on it for a minute. So, if you want to complain to somebody, complain to Marty for letting me up here. <laughs> I'll go ahead and confess. I, w- I was saved by saying the sinner's prayer. However, I don't necessarily agree with the sinner's prayer. First off, it's not in this book right here. Nowhere. Here's my problem with the sinner's prayer. It gives you this false sense of security. That you come up here, you say this, 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 and this, and this, and don't do anything else, and you're okay forever. You're good. You ask Jesus to forgive you, you ask Jesus to save you, you're good. That's all you got to do. And that's not right. That's not right. How can you say that you've met God and nothing changed in your life? 
How can you come in a drunk, meet God, and leave a drunk? You can't. To use a, a Paul Washer analogy. Anybody, some of y'all know who Paul Washer is, right? All right. Paul Washer said one time that, say, say I was, oh yeah, I'll tell it from my point of view. Say I was late to get here today. You know, we started at 1030, say I got here about 1045. You're like, Andrew, where, where were you? Well, I was on my way up here, and I had a flat tire. And I pulled over to change the tire, and, and I got the tire off, and I got the new tire on, and I was putting the lug nuts back on, and I dropped one, and one rolled out in the middle of the highway. And I wasn't even thinking, and I just turned around and ran out in the middle of the road and grabbed it. And I turned around and looked up, and there's an 80-ton 80 ton log truck coming 120 miles an hour straight to me, and it just smoked me. And that's why I'm late. So you mean to tell me you get smoked by an 80-ton, it's a 160,000-pound log truck doing 120 miles an hour, and you're unchanged? And you're unchanged? But we want to meet the creator of the universe who spoke the universe into existence and think that we can remain unchanged? We can't. He, he's going to convict us of, of the sin in our life, and he's going to take a lot of that away, and he's going to give us something to work on, too, because we got to grow. we got to grow. But we can't remain unchanged when we meet God. And God didn't save us to sit here and, 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 and worry about, you know, pray the lost man comes. He sent us to go to the lost man. That's why he called us. That's why he saved us. That's why he, he gave us this word right here to teach us and, and help us to learn how he lived and what he did so we could follow his example. Again, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's why he came. That's why he did what he did, so that we could be unbound and ungagged, and we could go forth with our feet and with our mouths and proclaim the good news that is Jesus Christ came and died for you so that you could go, so that you, your sins are forgiven, so that you could go to heaven and be with him forever. But for too long, we have done nothing. We sit back. We say, I'm just going to wait for the rapture. I'm going to wait for this trump to sound. I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be all, all gravy. Lord's going to come back. I'm good. While our cities are going to hell in a handbasket. While our families and our friends are, are diving headlong into eternal fire. I won't lie. I have family members that are unsaved. I have family members that probably think they're saved, that they aren't saved. And I say nothing most of the time. You know why? Because they know me. Probably the most biggest reason they know me. They know who I was before I met God. Same reason it's so hard for me to pray with my wife. She knows me. She knows my failures. She knows my flaws. She knows my weaknesses. She knows my faults. Who am I to lead her in prayer? I'm supposed to lead her. And she's a better example of what a Christian is than I am. So how am I supposed to lead her? How am I supposed to pray with her? We sit back and we do nothing. We have no compassion toward the lost. We have no concern for those that are in need. We're only concerned with ourselves, with what we want, 
with our desires. I prayed and I prayed for a long time that I wish I was more brokenhearted for the lost. I prayed to God that I wish it pained me as much as it does for him, for people to, to die who don't know him. And I keep praying that, and I keep praying that, and I keep praying that. I know one day that I'll see people as he sees them. Hurting. Lost. I used to pray all the time, God, let me see through the mask that people wear. You know, the, hey, how you doing? But on the inside, they're dying. On the inside, they're hurting. On the inside, they're so lost, they don't know where they're going. I used to pray that God let me see through that and give them encouragement, give them something to point them closer to him. Most of the time we just sit back and wait for the rapture to come. We don't want to go out. We don't want to do the work. While our communities are overwhelmed with drugs, with violence, with fatherlessness, and we do nothing. Most of the time we do nothing. But at the same time, God has so blessed us. Everybody here, he's blessed in different ways, in different, in different, with different th- talents. But he's blessed us all way beyond what we ever deserve. I don't deserve half of what he's given me. Start with that one right there. Brownie points. <laughs> but I don't deserve half of what he's given me. But he's blessed us all. He's blessed us with talents. He's blessed us with, with some, some of us with funds. He's blessed us all with time. He's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. We all have the tools that we need to make a difference in our city. Just think, if everybody here got together, put all our, our, our cookies in one basket so to speak, our talents, our funds, our our time. We put all that together in one basket. What difference could we make in this city, in this town, in this school? What difference could we make? I remember having a conversation one day about schools. And somebody Somebody said, this is right before I decided to run for the school board the last time. I didn't win, by the way. <laughs> but somebody said, if, if we get a bunch of parents together, and I hate to say it like this, but to sacrifice their kids for a couple of years, and the parents get really involved in the school system, you could turn it around like that. You could turn it around like that. The only problem is the first sign of trouble, everybody pulled their kids out of that school and sent them somewhere else. Granted. I got four kids. Private school ain't an option. All right? The, uh, the tithe bucket's outside if you want to donate. It's about, about 5000 per kid, so write, write a big check. <laughs> but private school's not an option for me. But really, if you've got a, a bunch of parents involved, a bunch of parents that send their kids there to, and then get involved with the school board and, and start pushing the school board around like we're supposed to do, they're not there to tell us what's going to happen. We're there to tell them what's going to happen. 
And if we did what we were supposed to do, you could change the school, you could change the city, you could change everything about this place because you're being obedient. We had a conversation about obedience this morning, about listening to God. Arville had a great story. Can I share your story, Arville? You don't care? All right. Arville said he was driving up here this morning. He saw it. He drove by a bag on the side of the road. And he said, God knows him. He said, you going to look in it? I guess. So Arville said he turned around, went back to that bag, got out, picked it up, looked inside of it. You know what was in it? Nothing. He said, he said God told me, he said, I just want to see if you listen. God, God said the obedience is worth more than sacrifice. He wants our obedience. So that's why he probably gets pretty frustrated with the church in America when he said go in church in America to sit back with the hands crossed. We could change, if we brought all our stuff together, we could change the school, this area, the city. That requires too much of us, though. That requires too much of us. We couldn't imagine, imagine having to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable for a little while. Time. That's what people need. They need our time. They need our time. They need our compassion. They need our obedience to God and what God's told us to do. Even if it makes us uncomfortable. Look, I'm good up here. I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable up here. Right? You put me face to face with a stranger at Sullivan's, and I'm like this. Not good there. Not good there. But that's the exact place that we're supposed to go. I heard my favorite preacher, Leonard Ravenhill. You can't preach without quoting Leonard Ramahill at least once or twice or six times. Uh, but he said in one of his messages, and it's just stuck with me for a long time, sheep beget sheep. Sheep make sheep. Shepherds don't make sheep. Sheep make sheep. And what he was saying, what he was saying, that many times we want to sit back, let the pastor go out. Let the pastor go to the people. Let the pastor do this. Let the pastor do that. It's not the pastor's job. Pastor's job is to lead. It's the sheep's job to make more sheep. Going along with that, oh, my mind just went blank. That's why I make notes, guys. We want the pastor to do everything for us. Well, if you follow the New Testament church, it was really the deacon's job to go see the sick in the hospital. It was the deacon's job to do all that stuff. All, lead all the people and do that stuff. Pastor's job was to teach and pray. We want the pastor to do it all. So maybe the pastor needs our help. Ask the pastor how you can help him do his job better. Free, free up some more of his time so he can give more time to the Lord. And see what happens then. So church, it's time for us to go. It's time for us to loose and be un- it's time for us to unbound our legs and go. It's time for us to loose our tongues and talk. It's time for us to go, church.
Because, see, in doing Christianity the way we've done Christianity the last, I don't know, I've only been a Christian 10 years, 20, 30, 40, however many years we've been doing church this way. We've turned Christianity into a defensive religion. We just sit back and we wait. We sit back and we wait for the world to come. We sit back and wait for the issues to pop up. We sit back and we wait for something to happen. We sit back, we remain quiet, and we only speak up occasionally, occasionally, to tell you why we believe something. But most of the time, we really really don't even know why we believe what we believe. We've made it a defensive religion, and it was never intended to be defensive. It was always intended to be offensive. It is always meant to be an offensive religion. If you take a look at, let's give you an example. And when Pentecost fell, there were 120 people in the upper room, right? Those 120 people went out and conquered the entire world in like 30 years. For Christianity, pretty much. We have 120 people here today. And if, you are, if you're not here, you won't know anybody's here. Think about that. They took this many people and changed the world. Conquered pretty much the entire world in the name of Jesus. And we're not even a blip on the radar here today. We've been too scared. We're too scared of hurting someone's feelings. We're too scared of offending someone. We're too scared of them asking something that we don't know the answer to. And we're too scared of facing confrontation. Think about it. Why do we not speak up on behalf of God? We're scared. We're uncomfortable. We're nervous. Our palms are all sweaty. As, as the great theologian Marshall Mathers said, our knees are weak. Our arms are sweaty. <laughs> palms are sweaty. <laughs> Sorry. I did the whole <laughs> I did the whole thing in the youth one time. I should have been there. That's Eminem for those of you who didn't know. It's in, it's in the book Eight Mile. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let me continue. But we're scared. We're nervous. But if we really believe that this Jesus is so great that we have, then why wouldn't we share? Why wouldn't we go? Why wouldn't we talk? If he's really so awesome and so great and so worthy of of all of our lives, we'd be telling. We'd be bold. I wouldn't care who you were. I'd tell you about Jesus. Again, I'm at the front of this line. All right, so don't think I'm not talking to myself, too. I'm talking to myself, too. But we would be going and finding people to tell about his great mercy, his great compassion, his great redemption. Now, he paid the penalty for us so that we wouldn't have to. Luke nine twenty six. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him, shall the son of man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. Think about that. If we're too embarrassed, we're too ashamed to, to speak, for him today to speak on his words today, then it says that he'll be ashamed of us in his father's presence. It's a scary thought. I mean, I've done plenty of things that 
I feel like God should probably be ashamed of me for. My lack of speaking is probably one of them, but I hope it's not one day. I'll figure it out one day, and I'll learn how to witness better. Be watching a lot of Ray Comfort, trying to figure out how to witness. Lots of wretched radio lately, too, trying to figure out how to witness. What's the guy's name? Todd Friel. Todd Friel, he's pretty good, too. I like Ray Comfort better, but... Be watching a lot of them because they are, they are fantastic. They'll walk up to a stranger and start talking about your spiritual life and, and start asking you questions about if you think you're a good person. They're like, yeah, I'm a good person. Oh, yeah, you're a good person, huh? Well, how many lies have you told? I don't know, millions. What do you call somebody that tells lies? A liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yeah. What do you call somebody to steal something? A thief. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. What do you call somebody that does that? I don't know. A blasphemer. Ah, yeah. Have you ever looked with lust? Jesus said if you looked on one with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, yeah, I've looked with lust. And so what do you call somebody who does that? You call them an adulterer. So you just admitted to me, good person, that you are a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterous at heart fornicator, whatever. Are you still a good person? You're like, no. <laughs> but it's really, I mean, he goes up to anybody and, and has these conversations with them. And, and you know, he doesn't, he doesn't pressure them. He doesn't try to make them say the sinner's prayer and, and think they're going to heaven. He, just, he, gives them, he, he tells them this and he shares the gospel with them. He gives them information and he sends them on their way. And it's awesome to watch. I encourage you, go look up Living Waters. Go look up Wretched Radio. They got some good stuff on there. But we remain silent. Even though God said, if you're ashamed of my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you in my Father's presence. We remain silent. And our loved ones, our friends, the people we pass by at the store every other day, they all come one day closer to eternal damnation. That's the thing with time. Time never stops moving. Time never comes back. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. Every second we draw closer to eternity. Every moment we draw closer to meeting our maker. We have friends, we have loved ones, we know people who aren't on right relationship with him. So church, we have to do better. We have to quit being silent. We have to start speaking. We have to realize that we have the truth right here. Truth might be 2000 years old, but it's got an answer for every problem we face. It possesses the answer for every situation. We have to realize church, that we know the one who knows tomorrow. We know the one who made tomorrow, and he's given us his spirit to lead us. He's given us his word to teach us. He's given us every tool we need to succeed for his glory. All we have to do is be obedient. And when he says go, go. When he says speak, speak. And he really, he really ain't even got to tell us. He's already told us. He said in the word, go ye therefore into all the, into all the world. Teach repentance and remission of sins to all the nations. He's already told us to go. John 14, 23. We must be obedient. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words. A.K.A. he'll be obedient. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Obedience. He wants our obedience. In Exodus 23, 22. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be scared. We must simply be obedient. 
Because God said, if you shall obey his voice and do all that I speak, I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. He'll protect us. He's with us. He'll go with us. As he told Moses, I will be with you. I'm sending you, even though you stutter, I'm going with you, though. I'm in you. I'm with you. You'll never fail if you just be obedient and trust me. I will be with you. But we always got excuses, like Moses. Moses had Moses stuttered. So he couldn't, he couldn't speak eloquent enough, he said. But God went with him. And even though Moses couldn't see God, so God sent Aaron to go with him, to speak for him. God is always with us. He's always leading us. If we love him, we will follow his commandments. What was his last commandment? Again, it was go. Don't sit. Don't stay. Go. And if we obey, he will be an enemy to our enemies. He will protect us. It reminds me of the story. I don't even remember where it is, but I want to say it's Elisha and his helper. They're sitting there. And they have these people chasing after him or something, and, and the helper is really scared. And, and Elijah, I think, is just kind of sitting there, like, not worried at all. And the guy's like, aren't you scared? They're coming after us. They're coming to get us. And he said, don't you see? And he points up. And the helper looks up, and his eyes are open, and he sees the legions of angels surrounding them, protecting them. Those legions of angels were an enemy to his enemy. They were there to protect them, to, to help them. Church, it's time to stop living a bound up and gagged Christianity. It's time to start going on the offensive. And it's time to realize that we possess all truth. And me and Tyler had this conversation last night. Truth hurts. Truth is abrasive. Truth can leave scars and wounds. But most importantly, truth can and will set the captive free. Truth may hurt them now, but they'll be hurting a lot more later if you don't tell them the truth. So church, let's get serious about being the church. Again, this is a building. The church is us. And we have the spirit inside of us to lead us and to guide us. And we should never expect the lost, to stumble into this building on a Sunday morning. There'll be few, they'll come. We got to go. We got to go out. We got to go to the stores. We got to go to the workplace. We got to go to those places and share the news with them, the good news with them, or else they may never hear it. They may never hear it. We must go to them. We must take life to a dead world. What did Jesus say? You will do greater things than this. You will do greater things than this. All the miracles he did, he said, we would do greater things than this. We got to go do great things, church. We got to go out. Almost missed my moment. We must go to them. We have to take life into a dead world. And we'll be that light shining in the darkness everywhere that we go. But we must be willing to surrender all of ourselves for God's glory. 
That's the number one thing a Christian should be focused on is God's glory. Is God getting the glory for my life? Or am I getting the glory? Because if I'm getting it, it's not, it's not worth anything. If I was up here for attention and applause, well, you should have just stayed home. But I'm not. I'm up here to glorify God. To say what I feel like God's laid on my heart and hope it speaks to you and helps you to glorify God a little more in your life. That's why I'm up here. God's glory it should be the first priority in our life. I love Mr. David's attitude to everything he's going through. Right, not long after I was at his office and I was talking to him last summer, he said, "I don't care what happens to me. He said, I just want God to be glorified. I want God to be glorified through me. No matter what the doctor says, no matter what's going on, I just want God to be glorified through me. That should be the object of all our lives. Come what may, God gets the glory. Whether we're hurting." Whether we're healthy, whether we're poor or rich, it doesn't matter. God gets the glory. That's why Paul said, I have learned to be content with all things. I know what it's like to have everything, and I know what it's like to have nothing. But I am content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even in his abundance, God got the glory. In his, in his poor, poor poverty, God got the glory. God always got the glory. And we must be willing to surrender ourselves to God's glory. That means giving up all of our hobbies if we have to. Giving up all of our wants. Giving up all of our desires. Giving up all of our plans. What does James say? James says we we may plan to go to this and this city and do this and this next year. But what is life but a vapor and a mist that is here one second and gone the next? What if you waste your whole life planning for your future and you have nothing to show for it? What if you gain the whole world yet lose your soul. God's glory above everything else should be the sum for our life. In John chapter 12, I didn't give you all this one either, guys, sorry. In John chapter 12, we find Jesus returning to Bethany to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we find this beautiful scene of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with oil and, and, and wiping them off with her hair. But it goes down and, and, he, and it gives a picture of a meeting that the, the religious leaders are having where they're planning to, how they're going to capture Jesus and kill him. But listen to what it says in, in, in John 12, verse 9 through 11. It says, Much of the people, most people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there that Jesus was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but they also might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away believing on Jesus. It says that when Lazarus came out of the grave, that many that were there believed on Jesus. But the next chapter, it says, because of Lazarus, because when they said, lose him and go, you know what Lazarus did? It's, it's crazy. You're, not, you're never going to guess. He went. He went. And he started telling people all that God had done for him, all that Jesus did for him. And because he went and was so obedient, many more Jews believed on Jesus because of Lazarus and his word. So much so that they wanted to put Lazarus to death too. Have you made a difference? So much so that, God, that maybe the devil wants you dead. 
heard a famous missionary. I'm about to butcher this quote, so just hang with me. Famous missionary said that he would rather have a half acre on the on, 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 at the gates of hell than ten acres in paradise. That way he could drag everybody in that went came by going to hell. He could drag them in and save them, send them the other way, give them the good news. Leonard Ravenhill always said he wanted a big sign in hell with his name on it because he made such a difference there. He made such a difference in pulling people out of there. He made such a difference plundering the kingdom of hell, of hell. That's the difference we ought to be making, church. See, Paul made such a difference that when the, the seven sons of Sceva came, got thrown out by this demon, the demon looked at him and said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Does the devil know us by name? No. We got to quit playing church. We got to start being the church. It's time for us to come out of the grave and to live a life unbound and ungagged by the world. If you would, stand with me.